He is risen. We can do better. He is risen. There we go. Amen. Guys, it really is all about Jesus. It really is. It's not, not just on Easter, um, but every day it's all about Jesus. There's nobody like him. And this morning, you know, it's Easter and everybody's looking very Eastery, you know, their new shirts and dresses and all that stuff. And that's great. And uh, it's good to dress up and get new stuff because um, it's a little picture of what Christ has done for us that he has made us new. Not outwardly, but inwardly. And it leads to an outward transformation. If you have your Bibles, grab them and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, it's these few verses. We also have it up here on the screen. If you don't have a Bible. Guys, the resurrection matters. And that's a vast understatement, but I don't know how else to say it. The resurrection matters. It matters every moment of your life. And the resurrection and understanding, believing in his death and his resurrection is the key to living a life of resurrection where you are alive and you experience. You don't just know about. You don't just acknowledge to be true, but you experience the risen Christ alive in you. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I want to jump right into the text today because Peter, um, apart from Jesus and Paul and some of the other early leaders, he was one of the best shepherds, one of the best pastors, one of the best preachers that ever lived, not because of him, but because the risen Christ lived in him. And in about around AD 64, the year AD 64, Nero was the uh, dictator of the Roman Empire. And most of the city of Rome, about 70% of the city, burned. And there were many rumors, and nobody knows for sure, but the fire was real, history tells us that that about 70% of the city burned, and most people accused Nero of setting fire to the city, even though it was his city and where his capital was, because he wanted to build a new city. And because of the rumors and all of the implications that were being pointed at him, he looked for a scapegoat. And the scapegoat that he found were Christians. This new sect of people thought of Judaism and people weren't really sure about, but that was sweeping across the Roman Empire. And so about AD 64, Nero unleashes one of the worst persecutions that God's people have ever had to endure. And Peter, as a shepherd, as a leader in that early church, as a pastor, he writes this letter. He writes this letter to Christians throughout the Roman Empire that are now experiencing Extreme persecution, uh, not just being made fun of, not just being gossiped about, but being killed, being tortured, being set on fire, um, being uh, fed to lions and ravenous animals in the Colosseum. And what Peter does 
uh, is extremely instructive for us as Christians. Uh, it's very instructive for me as a pastor um, and in trying to help people. Because what Peter does in the beginning of this letter, um, and in these few verses that we're going to look at this morning, is that in order to encourage everybody, he reminds them, not first about what they should do. Although, if you're like me, when things get tough, when things get difficult, when trial hits, when stuff hits the fan and you're not sure what to do, you immediately go into get-or-done mode. Do you know what I mean? By get-or-done mode, like, what do I need to do? How do I fix this? What, you know, where do I need to run? What contacts do I need to make? What do I need to change? And Peter's going to get to some of that. There are, there are things that they need to get done. Ways that he calls them to live. But before he ever tells them about what they need to do, he reminds them first of what God has done. You guys remember several years ago, maybe more than several years ago now, the little wristbands uh, that everybody was wearing, WWJD, yes? Raise your hand if you ever wore a WWJD, okay. It's good, nothing wrong with the WWJD wristbands. It's a good question to ask, but I don't think it's the first question we should ask. It's a good question to ask, if you're a believer in Christ, what would Jesus do? But I think that's the follow-up question to the first and primary question that needs to be asked, which is, what has Jesus done? Amen? What we're talking about is gospel. This is good news. It's not just good advice. Although the Bible gives lots of good advice, and there's good counsel, and there's things that we need to do. It is first and foremost good news. It is about what he has done. And in order to encourage the hearts of these precious Christians that were undergoing this terrible persecution by Nero. Again, it's not make-believe, guys, but it happened around AD 64 for several years in real-time space history. Peter writes this letter, and he starts off talking about what God has done through his son Jesus, but specifically here, through the resurrection. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, and then there's three two statements. Three statements that start with two. He has caused us, one, to be born again, and then to a living hope, and then it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and then verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now if you notice here, the reason I wanted to put this up here so we understand, because I want you to base, I want to base what I'm saying to you this morning. I don't want you just to believe what I'm saying, but I want you to believe, have faith and trust in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God, the Bible says. Is that what Peter does to encourage them is he talks about what God has done, but specifically about what God has done through the resurrection. That we are to be born again to a living hope and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And guys, this is good news. And what I want to do for the next several minutes is unpack for you why that's, why that's good news and what exactly the resurrection has given uh, for us and why, and why it matters um, and why every single day of our lives God invites us to live, not just to know about, not just to acknowledge, not just to affirm, 
doctrinally, although all that stuff is true, but to live and experience the new life, the resurrection life that he has for us. And so the first thing, as you see in there, and this is very straightforward from the text, that the resurrection gives us is it gives us a new birth or new, new life. The new birth and new life, they go, they go together. Again, he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So now, a little bit technical here, but you understand the thrust of it. Um, there, there's, some, there's six words here that are translated in the English that in the Greek, it's just one word. It says that he, and then has caused, and to be born again, that's all just one Greek word. Those six English words are one Greek word. Again, Greek being the original language that this letter was written in. Uh, and I, you know, I won't even attempt to pronounce it because I won't pronounce it right, but you guys don't know Greek either, so you wouldn't know if I'm not pronouncing it right. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that it's, he has done this. He has caused us to be born again. The point here in the text is that God is doing something. Because what I want to tell you this morning is that, again, I've said it already, that you are not just saved by affirming, by acknowledging some things about God that are true. You are not just saved by, by, by saying, yes, I agree with that statement about Christ. You are saved by Christ himself. He does something in your hearts. No man can save himself. We cry out to God for mercy, and in his grace, when we do that, his spirit lays hold of our hearts. He causes us to be born again. I've got four boys now, one that's adopted, but three that, you know, you have the, the natural way, I guess. They were all there. They were present at their birth. And you're like, thank you, Captain Obvious, for pointing that out. Yes. They were all there at their birth. And everybody was there to see them. Everybody wanted to come and hold the baby. But let me tell you something. There was somebody else who was doing most of the work. And it wasn't them. And it wasn't me either. It was my beautiful wife. Ladies, you know what the labor pains are like. And what Peter is saying here is that God has caused us to be born again. The guys, the new birth, being a Christian, it's not just because you grew up a certain way. It's not, not just because you came from a certain family. It's not because your mom and dad were Christians. It's not because you grew up Mennonite, Amish, Baptist, Presbyterian, a Church of Christ, whatever. If you truly know God as your Savior, it is because God has caused you to be born again. There is no other way by which you can be saved. It is a miracle, and God does it, and so he's the one that gets the glory for it. He causes us to be born again. In John chapter 1, this is all throughout the scripture, not just in 1 Peter. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the flesh, but born of God. The new birth. And it happens, as Peter gets to here, through the resurrection there's none righteous, no, not one. And so God, in his kindness, he comes down, and yes, he creates a way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But the Bible also says that nobody comes to, the, to, to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. And I want you to know that about your salvation. Is that if you're in Christ today, it's because God was at work in your life way before you were ever seeking after him. 
He was at work in your life to draw you to himself. Just because he wanted to. Not because he saw anything good in you. Not because you were special. Not because you had good parents. Not because you belonged to a certain church or your parents went to church or your grandma went to church and their, her grandma went to church. He did it, as it says here in the text, according to his mercy. He's caused you to be born again. And as we're going to see here, these things, these three things, this new, these new things, this new life that God brings into our life, they're, they're linked together. I want to show you a picture um, of something that happened for our family this past week. And many of you saw it on Facebook, but on Thursday, this is our newest addition to our family, our little buddy Jordan. Um, just turned six. And uh, he's up there with the judge, and we, we've had him since October, but we officially adopted him this past week. And uh, I didn't know she was going to do this, but during, and I don't think she normally does, but during uh, the hearing where we made the adoption official, um, she asked him if he knows how to write his name. And he said, yeah, and he can, you know, it's not the best, but it works. And uh, so she asked him to come up front, and she had him sign the one side of this document, which she also signed, that says that his name, his last name is officially changed. It's no longer what it was. But he is now Jordan Gregory Miller. And it was a neat little moment to see him go up there and, you know, write his name. But I want to tell you something. If anybody asked me, or if anybody challenged me, as to whether or not he was my son. It is not his signature that I would point to. You hearing me? It's her signature. It's the one that has, it's the judge. It's the one with the authority. It's the one that has the right to say, you are no longer this, you are now this. You are now a miller. He experienced a type of being born again because the one with the authority has ruled that he is to be he is to be changed. Um, and guys, that's exactly what Peter is trying to communicate to us here. And it's good news. Again, not about what we do, but about what he does. That he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. One more story just to illustrate this. But you guys remember the story in John chapter 20 of Mary Magdalene. She goes to the tomb early in the morning. And she's going there just to anoint the body um, and so she obviously doesn't think that, you know, Jesus is alive. But she goes there, and uh, there's some chaos, and there's, you know, some angels sitting there, and he says he's risen. And she, she still just doesn't know what's going on. She goes and gets Peter and John, and, and, you know, then John tells the story, you know, that he outruns Peter to the tomb, and they check it out, and then John looks in and believes, but they're still kind of confused. And so they go back, and then Mary is left there, all alone in the garden, and she's weeping. And then um, it says that she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So she sees him, but she doesn't see that it's him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And it says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, 
for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And here's what I love about that story, is that Mary's there, and she turns and she sees him, but she doesn't know that it's him. But God knows that it's her. And he and Jesus calls her by name. And again, guys, what Peter's saying here back in this text is that before we know who he is, he knows who we are. And when he calls us by name, it awakens us to see him for who he is. And the point of this truth that's found over and over and over again in the scripture is just simply this, that we would be amazed at what he's done. So many of us are not as in awe of our salvation as we should be because we don't understand that we had very little to do with it. That the primary one acting was God who was showing mercy, not us, being wise or being smart. Secondly, not only does the resurrection give us this new birth, this new life, but you can see how they're linked and how they lead one to the next, but it gives us a new hope. It gives us new hope. He says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everybody say living hope. Living hope. What is that? Living hope. Not just a dead hope, but a living hope. If you're a Browns fan, you're like, well, let me finish what I was going to say. But if you're a Browns fan, right now is the best time of the year for Browns fans. Uh, because it's the off-season, the draft is coming, and right now, if, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan at all, everybody's like, this is our year. This is it. I'm 37 years old, guys. It's been the same story my entire life, okay? This time of year, everybody's all hyped up, everybody's excited, everybody's going, this is our year, and this is who we're going to get in the draft, and, you know, we're going to make it this year, and we got a new coach, and we're improved, and right now we have this living hope. That for a little while, is we're, we're like, man, this is our year. We're going to do it. But by about week eight, we'll be one and seven. Uh, we'll have scored a total of nine points, you know, during those, during those eight games, all on field goals. Um, and our hope that once was living will now, will now be dead. Uh, that's not the type of hope that Peter's talking about here. When he says living hope... It's something that's incorruptible. It's something that cannot change. It's something that's not going anywhere. And therefore, it matters in our life every day. Again, the people that Peter is writing this letter to are undergoing immense suffering, immense persecution, okay? And Peter, in shepherding them, in caring for them, writes to remind them of this great salvation that we have. And I just, and guys, here's, here's the deal. I, I just want you, I want all of us, just to be honest this morning. And what I want us to be honest about is, I can't answer this for you, but do you, you, right now, this morning, do you have a living hope? Do you know that in Christ Jesus, this is true of you, the best is always yet to come. You know that? You're like, oh, Eric, I don't know. 2017 was pretty good. 2018 was pretty good. But 2019, it hasn't been that good. 
So I don't know if that's true, that the best is yet to come. Just keep going. Believe the word. Not just here in this life, but even if your life is taken from you guys in Christ Jesus, the best is always yet to come. If you guys have ever watched uh, C.S. Lewis, well, I say watch, maybe you've read. I haven't read it, I've just watched the movies. I mean, why not? Um, But C.S. Lewis's uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, you know, the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Uh, One of them, it's just a beautiful kind of poetic picture. I love Lewis and the way he, he puts this in there. But in Narnia, when the white witch is ruling, um, and Aslan is, is off, nobody knows where he's at, and the white witch, who's the bad, kind of the bad guy in the story, is ruling, uh, the creatures and the inhabitants of Narnia, here's what they say. And it's cold. She's the ice princess, whatever. But they say, it's always winter, but it's never Christmas. And I think that so many Christians, even though we, it's set, like we have this living hope, his resurrection power isn't just to celebrate on Easter Sunday. It's something that we get to live in through the power of his Holy Spirit, his presence living in us every single day. But so many of us Christians live like it's always winter and never Christmas. That it's just always cold, it's always bleak, and we just don't have much hope. And guys, this is why every day we have to wake up and our first priority is to preach the gospel to ourselves. That even when the white witch, the ice princess, seems like she's ruling and reigning over us and, and it seems like it's winter all around, and our experience is that, that things are bleak and there's not much life, we have to remind ourselves that Aslan is always coming. He's always coming back. He's not gonna be, he's not gonna be stopped. And I ask you this morning, do you have hope? Do you have a living hope? Not a hope like Browns fans have, but a hope like the Bible talks about, something that we can be sure and, and it was steadfast. The Bible says in Hebrews that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, that our soul would not float off as our souls tend to do, but it is anchored to a living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Again, another first Easter narrative story. Um, well, actually, it's, not, it's right before Jesus goes, I guess. Sorry. But John chapter 11. Uh, but a resurrection story, nonetheless. Um, John chapter 11, where Raz- Lazarus is, is raised from the dead. Um, if you guys know that story, uh, it starts off um, in a very peculiar way. John chapter 11, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So Jesus loves him. The sisters know that, he lo- that Jesus loves, loves him. Um, and Lazarus knows that he loves him. And they send word to him. Again, they didn't have Facebook. They couldn't call. They couldn't text. But they send word to him that he whom you love is ill. And they've seen Jesus' miracles. They know that he can heal him. It says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, it says that he loved them all. So, 
When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. They're like, that doesn't make any sense. But what Jesus is going to do is give them a new revelation about himself, that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. And anyway, I I review that story with you because um, over the last couple months, I I listen to a lot of music. Uh, Spotify, any Spotify fans in here? Yeah, okay. Not many. Okay. What do you, what do you, the rest, anyway, okay. What do the rest of you do? Apple, iTunes, anyway, Spotify is the way to go. Anyway, but um, I listen to a lot of Spotify, and man, this song, you know, it's what I like about Spotify is you got like kind of like your playlist, your songs you like, but then you can also do these playlists that are kind of like the songs that you like, and so you hear a lot of songs that are kind of like the songs that you like. That made sense, I'm sure. Um, and, but, you know, you, you discover new music, and one of the songs that I, I was just listening to as I was studying one day, and that just stuck with me, and man, it's just been on repeat. It's been this song by Jonathan David Helser, um, and it's called Lazarus, or another title for it is You Came. And he takes a little bit of kind of artistic license in it, um, and so I, I admit that this isn't directly in the scriptures, but he imagines what it would be like to be Lazarus in the story that I just told you about. And how, um, again, Lazarus is ill, um, to the point of death. But Mary and Martha, they come in and they tell Lazarus, don't worry, Lazarus. We sent word to Jesus. You know that he loves you. He'll be here. He'll rescue you. One day goes by, still doesn't come. Two days go by, and he passes away. Three days go by, four days. Mary and Martha are a mess. And, and it just, it imagines what it would be like, again, to be Lazarus as you're waiting for him to come. But he doesn't come. And he doesn't come until finally he comes and raises him from the dead. And I just, just this little chorus, it's very simple. And uh, get Spotify, listen to the song, okay? Jonathan Elster, if you haven't, but he he does it much better than I can hear. But here's here's what the chorus says. And just knowing the story and imagining... um, yourself to be Lazarus just always speaks to my heart. And the chorus just simply says this. He says, it says, you came. Now, mind you, he came after he died. <laughs> but it says, you came. I knew that you would come. You sang. My heart, you woke up. I'm not afraid. I see your face. I am alive. You came. I knew that you would come. And guys, what that story gives us of Lazarus and what, again, Peter's communicating here is that to have a living hope means that even when things are dead, listen to me, it's not actually dead. And I love, and our, our, our attitudes, our demeanor as those who have this good news, who have this living hope, who have this hope as an anchor for the soul, is that even if we have a sickness unto death and we're passing away and we're going to die, we say, I, I know he's going to come. I know he's going to show up. I know he's going to work this out for good, which is exactly what it says that he will do. Now hear me. We are all going to die. 
one day, unless Jesus comes back before that. But we are to live our lives in such a way as shows that we have a life beyond this life. That we have a hope that is living. It is not corruptible. It is never going to fade away. And that changes how we live in the here and now. And the honor and glory that we give to God because of the hope that we have in the future, which is exactly what Peter goes on to talk about here again, that we're born again to a living hope. And the third thing that we have that's new is we have a new future. Again, he says this is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But then he says this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I love Peter because Peter was a preacher. He preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he was just a good old boy, uh, no formal education, just a fisherman by trade. But he stood up, and 3,000 people got saved. And uh, uh, we preachers, sometimes we like to uh, alliterate things. You know what I mean? Like we like, like all our points to start with the same letter or whatever. And what's interesting here is that, again, in the original language in the Greek, this word of imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, they all start with the letter A. And so Peter's, I, I feel like as he's writing this letter, he could just kind of gets rolling and he gets to preaching. And, he just, and I, again, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce them in the Greek, but they all start with A. And so you can just hear him here. here just, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And he's just getting to preaching and just letting it roll through whoever's you know, dictating this letter for him. And he's just hammering away, wanting us to know that our future in Christ, if we are in Christ, if we've been born again by the Holy Spirit, it is secure. Everything that he's saying here is talking about the security that we have. And, and there's, there's a, it's from two different perspectives here. Let me show you to you in verse 4 and 5. It's to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I won't spend a lot of time on those words, but again, all these things, they're like the same, but they kind of overlap and they're slightly, and they're slightly different. That it's imperishable, that it's not, it won't see any corruption, that it's undefiled, that it's pure, that it's unfading, that it's, it's kept, it's not going to be, be alive and unfading for just a little bit, but forever. Then he says two things. He says, it is, it's kept in heaven for you. And again, who's doing the keeping? Not us. It's God. He keeps it. It's this idea of watching or having a reservation. In fact, if you have a New American Standard Version, I believe it says that this, this inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. I don't know if you've ever had uh, the privilege, not really a privilege, it's not the right word, but the experience of showing up to a restaurant that pretty much only takes reservations, but you show up and you don't have a reservation. Anybody? You show up, you walk in, you're like, there's empty seats all over the place. This is great. Sweetie, I made a good choice. At least that's what I would say on where we were going to eat tonight. And, we, yeah, and you walk in and <laughs> you're looking at all these empty seats and you're like, two please, we'll, we'll have a seat. And they're like, uh, it's going to be a couple hours till we can get you in. You're like, what? What's going on? There's an empty seat there. There's an empty seat there. I see an empty booth over there. Well, no, those are, those are reserved. Those are reserved for people that have called ahead and that have made a reservation. And that's the idea here when it says that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
that if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, if you've been born again by the Holy Spirit, that this inheritance, it's, it's, it's there for you. And nobody can come and steal it. Nobody can take it away. And again, this is good news. But not only is our inheritance kept for us, but we are kept for our inheritance. He says, it's kept in heaven for you, verse 5, who by God's power are what? Are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That, and this word guarded, it's a military term. That there are soldiers encamped around whatever's being guarded. And that's the way that God guards us. That our inheritance is being guarded for us, but we are also being guarded for our inheritance. And guys, it is the promise of what he will keep for us, but also the promise of how he will keep us, ourselves. That gives us strength to endure and to keep going. Listen to me. It is his promises that fuel our perseverance. His promises, the things that gives, it's what gives us hope that causes us to endure and to have perseverance, which is why Peter is writing these precious truths to these people who are in great need of perseverance and endurance, and I'm sure many of us are in need of here this morning as well. It is his promises that fuel our perseverance, and it is his presence that also keeps us persevering. In 1952, there was a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick. Everybody, anybody ever hear of Florence no? Okay. That's all right. I hadn't either until I read the story. But Florence Chadwick, she was, uh, she was quite the swimmer, okay? She, in 1950 and also 1951, uh, she swam for over 16 hours swimming the English Channel, uh, one time from England to France and then another time from, from France back to England. Then in 1952, she attempted to swim uh, the roughly 26 miles from Catalina Island, which is right off the coast of California to the mainland of California. And because she'd swam the English Channel in a train for this, she was sure that she could do it. News reporters, many others were sure, were sure that, that, that she could do it. And so as she swam this, they had you know, many boats uh, kind of around her, following her, of course, to help her in case she'd cramp up and would almost drown or something, but also to document it um, and to be there for the experience. But that morning, as she got going and she began to swim, uh, there was a thick fog that began to settle in. And uh, if you can imagine swimming for that long, in fact, she swam for just over 15 hours before she finally just gave up. She just gave up. And she called for the boats that were nearby to come get her, um, and she just couldn't go, go on. But here's what happened. Is once she got in the boat, and she was able to get up out of the water a little bit, she looked and she was less than a half mile from the shore. Less than a half mile. And at the news conference afterwards, she said, I, I know I could have made it. I know I could have made it if I could have just seen the shore. But she couldn't because, because of the fog. And guys, all the stuff, all the good news that God gives us in this passage and so many other great and precious promises throughout the scriptures. It's given to us so that we will not give up. He shows us the shore. He says, it's here. I'm keeping it. I'm guarding it. And not only am I guarding it, but I'm guarding you. 
Keep going. Keep going. And I ask you this morning, do you have this type of perseverance? Do you have this type of hope? Not because you're strong, not because you're mighty, but because one who is strong and who is mighty has saved you. Guys, he's the Savior. And I just want to close this morning by saying this, that if you're here this morning and you do not know where you would spend eternity, I would not just encourage you, I would not just say that, man, you might want to think about this, I would plead with you. Throw yourself upon the mercy of Christ. You are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that nobody can boast about it. Nobody can brag about it. And when you throw yourself upon his mercy, guys, those whom he saves, he saves to the uttermost. And he is going to hold not just your inheritance, but also you yourself secure in his hands. Guys, he loves you. In just a minute here, we're going to show a video, and then we're going to move into our time of baptism. And this is the first time that we've ever done a baptismal service on Easter, and I just got to tell you, like, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I think, I, I just want to pray that the Lord would uh, save more people and allow us to do this uh, every year, because uh, baptism really is all about the resurrection. And what we're going to do here in a few minutes is that we're going to set these folks in here who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to be very clear. Doing this act of getting wet, going under, and coming back up again, it in no way saves you. Okay? You, we could do it a hundred times. wouldn't save anybody. The only thing that saves somebody is putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Okay? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. But because these folks have done that, and because God has put a new living hope into their heart and caused them to be born again, Jesus commands that we do this in order to give us an outward picture of what has happened inwardly. And what has happened inwardly is that although all these folks, as good looking as they are, they still look the same as they did before, but inside they have totally been made new. That once where there was death spiritually and deadness spiritually, there is now life. And they are not the ones that have done that. God has done that. It's a miracle that each one of them, he has caused them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to show you a video here in just a second, and then we're going to move into that time. I just want to pray for us all again. So if you just bow your head with me as we close. Jesus, you save. It's what you do. You came to seek and save that which is lost. And our hope this morning is in you. And Father, I pray for any here this morning that do not know you as their Savior. I pray that they would turn from their sin, turn from their own power and ability to save themselves and turn towards you. Grant them repentance, Lord. And Lord, even for those of us who know you as Savior, Father, I pray that you would again grant us repentance and allow us to come to you in a new and fresh way, wanting more than anything else, your resurrection life alive in us. 
Lord, let us say with sincerity, not with pretense, Lord, that it's no longer us who lives, but it's you who lives in us. In this life we now live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can show that.